So I want to know, how come we're not fighting in giant robots? Over the weekend, this 4th of July weekend, there was a Godzilla marathon on stars, encore, action, whatever. It's been Godzilla all weekend. Mecha Godzilla kicked his ass. I mean, he really had to pull some funky stuff out, becoming magnetic in order to beat him. And then he had to bring in King Caesar and, and to help him. But really, Mechagodzilla was pretty badass. Like, he was doing this backwards-forwards thing with his tow missiles and stuff. Get it? Tow missiles? He had tow missiles before there was tow missiles. Crazy, right? So this is going back to the 60s and stuff. And we never built big robots. I want, I want big robots out there. Uh, you know, between bouncing and there. And, oh, my God, you go over to, over to road, guys. Did you catch that NASCAR race last night? Man, Wreckfest or what? I mean, hello, Ricky Stenhouse. You, like, wrecked half the field. So what's going on with that? I have no idea, but you're a Wreckfest. No, but it was decent. Good seeing a new guy win. Uh, a set of the same three dudes. But, yeah, that, that Mechagodzilla thing. I really think we should be playing with big robots. You know, I, I think they're pretty effective with those eyeball lasers and the different stuff. I mean, even if you look at Pacific Rim. Big robots, they win. So I, I, I'm, I'm in favor of not necessarily jumping straight to a, dis, a, a space defense force, but to a robot defense force. You know what I'm saying? Robots. Anyway, welcome to the Everyday Sniper. You got Frank from Sniper's Hide here. I'm getting everything. We, we've been working on the images and stuff. I have video from the King of Two Mile I want to thank uh, Steve and Dylan, Attacktaholics, for doing the one interview. Thank Paul Phillips from Team Applied Ballistics for doing that interview. A lot of good feedback on Paul's uh, uh, interviews and stuff. So everybody seemed to like what they heard. Uh, King of Two Mile, I'm going to kind of do my wrap-up. It's an interesting match, man. You know, it, it, it starts off, you're only guaranteed six rounds, really. You, you, it, it's, it's, it's a cold bore at 1689. And and it's about a MOA. It's a little. It's a 16 inch circle, so it's just shy of a 16 MO or a one MOA target at you know just shy of a mile. And then you have to do this qualification at uh, like 1547, 1719, uh, 1890, and 2095. Yeah, all weird ranges there. Um, it's 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 kind of interesting because you'll get guys if you miss three times, you're out. And so it's a weird kind of deal for people who invest a lot of time and money to go there. And, and really, I would change things just slightly different. Uh, and then the scoring is insane. So like you can have like a max point of like 7,000 points on one target. It's, it's really weird. Um, you do these multiplier things. I would just basically say, you know, at 15, it's 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. At 17, it's 7654. At 18, it's 854, you know, and do it that way, scoring. Because adding the multiples in makes it, you know, in uh, congrats to Robert Brantley, huge win. Uh, he held a clinic. Robert w w did a really, really good job. I got video of Robert shooting. If you watch Robert shoot, he shot well. Like, you know, I'm, I'm looking at the images and stuff. And we talked about this, fundamentals, setting up the rifle, marksmanship, all these things. In ELR distances, it should matter more. Where they get away with it is their targets tend to be a little bit better. So at, you know, uh, 1,547 yards, they're shooting a 24-inch wide plate that's 37 high, right? So almost 24 by 40. That's big. And 
it, it it so there's a little bit of take up there, but your your marksmanship really matters. So I was watching, I think it was the second place guy in um I think his name was John. Let me see if I can get these guys' names here. Uh yeah, John. He was shooting a 375 Shytac improved. Speed wins, man. Tom Manners, 3150. Robert Brantley, 3030 with a 500 grain bullet. You know, speed is the key with these big high BC solids. And you got to shoot a solid. You got to shoot a real bullet. You know, all this stuff. Cutting edge rules the roost when it comes to King of Two Mile. Uh, Warner could be right in there. It's just uh, I don't know if he's got the bigger bullets for everybody yet. But the the thing is, is these marksmanship fundamentals matter. John, who came in second, didn't have cheek weld. There's guys who are kind of shooting off the rifle. You know what I mean? It's it's one of those deals where uh they're 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 you know Robert looked good this time. Tom looked good. You know Paul and those guys from AB shoot really well. The F class guys they look pretty good. Although Paul does the leg up deal still. He comes out of the Marine Corps. He's an old school USMC guy. He raises his leg even on a by on a on a front rest. You know. So that would be like the only downside. But as you know, it it matters. This marksmanship matters. Getting that call right matters. Uh, one of the things I saw, and it's a little weird, you got five rounds per target. You got to get, th- uh, you know, a hit on. And the, the thing is, a, a lot of guys are holding in a weird way. I would almost dial it and try to get a re-zero into the center of the scope a lot better. There's a lot of hold left edge, hold top right corner, hold left bottom, hold off the plate here. And at that distance, I'd almost want to be centered up as best I could. Yeah, I guess you're going to, you know, once you do get on. And believe me, elevation was by no means a given for really anybody. Uh, there, There was no perfect software solution that I saw. I mean, it's funny that Robert and Tom were using freeware, and they seemed to struggle a, a, a little less on elevation right off the bat. Uh, you know, it, it might have been a one or two-tenth adjustment for them, where some of these other guys were a mill off here or there, or pretty high off here or there. So it's an interesting kind of thing with software that even at these distances, the software and the numbers weren't perfect for some people. There was still a struggle on elevation. And part of that is because the targets are against the cliff. And on the first day especially, the wind came from behind them. And when it impacts that cliff, because it's coming with the bullet, the verticals up or down become crazy. And that's because those cliff sides are having an effect the, the the surrounding area in that Raton tub range location has a big effect on elevation because of that wind. Um, you know, you're shooting up and a lot of times these rounds might be going up over the top of the cliffs, over the top of the hills. So they're getting the wind that comes off the top. And as we spoke about with this wind, it's it's a little bit um deceiving because it's up so high and you're shooting so far that the the max order these bullets goes well over what most people are used to and and so that becomes an issue but it it was it was kind of um 
kind of crazy. But yeah, we got uh, Robert Brantley, John uh, Bruhe, Paul Phillips, Duncan Davis, Gene uh, Nozick, Nozick, Gene. I'm just going to call him Gene, cutting edge. Tom, James Foster, uh, Rudy from JJ Rock, and Liebert. Uh, the, oh, then Jeff Haig. Sorry, uh, Liebert. Liebert's interesting because he makes all his own stuff. It's it's his caliber, his casings. He designs it off of uh, 50 BMGs. And, you know, last year it was mentioned that he was kind of a black feather guy where it was, you know, like a want, want, sorry, Liebert, you know, kind of last year. And this year, guy's in, you know, ninth. He's in the top ten. Uh, he learned a lot from year to year. And with any game, you know, the more you play it, the more you learn. And and that's a big part of it. The only weird thing is the scoring. Uh, I, I'm just not a fan. It's it's almost impossible to understand the scoring as an observer. I couldn't even begin to tell you what you have to do, um, you know, with this stuff. It, it's crazy. The rifles all weigh, weigh a lot. They're anywhere from 25 to, you know, 45 pounds. The average weight is about 35 pounds on these rifles. It's it's kind of crazy, but you, you really have to do the, the, the solids. Um, and then the guys, like I said, went to the 416 because they wanted to see hits. They needed something bigger to get the impact on. You know what I mean? They needed something that showed up a little bit better because it's, it's, it's sort of field course-ish. And it's really hard to catch impacts at times at this distance. You got to understand there's um two other spotters. You have a, it's a three man team. So when you go there, you go there with three men. Everybody's asking, well, how did Robert win it with the Bushnell and XRS? That doesn't, scope really doesn't matter. I mean, the highest end scope you see on that line is a night force, you know, and it's not always like a, you know, Paul Phillips is running a 735 attacker. You know, uh, I think Derek runs a second focal plane one, uh, Derek Rogers uh, and stuff. So a lot of the guys were Night Force. Uh, Night Force is well represented. It's probably the most popular scope, either the 5 to 25 or 7 to 35, especially because they have the elevation. But a Bushnell's not going to limit you when you have two spotters. And as long as you can see the target, which it's bright daylight, there's no reason why you can't see it. You know, as long as you get them, and it's up in the air, so you don't run into problems with the mirage on the ground because they're shooting at a six-degree angle up, right? So there, there's all these things that work in its favor, and it's the scope Robert knows. He, he you know, they they get all that through Team Gap and everybody, and he shoots with manners and stuff. He's a PRS guy. They're used to that Bushnell scope. That's something he uses all the time, so it's not a stretch for him to use that. Although somebody say, well, I thought I would see more higher-end scopes. There really isn't higher-end than Night Force. I mean, that's that's your pretty typical high-end scope in this competition. And there's a lot more lower-end scopes than you realize. Go back to the world record event in SHOT Show. You had John Armstrong with a 10X Super Sniper goes 3-for-3 three three at a mile with a hunting rifle. 10X Super Sniper, 3-for-3 three three at a mile with a hunting rifle. Stone cold on command. Boom. All right? That's what you're looking at. It's really more of the guy and not as much, um, you know, it, it, it's equipment-based, but the scope, because you have two spotters, is just an aiming device. You know, they're, they're, they're really not playing around. And like I said, there's a lot more reticle holding and a lot more fudging, little high, little low, little left, little right. 
uh, just trying to take care of that wind as it's changing. It, it's it's sad, man. Um, you know, I'm watching David Tubb and he's doing well and he's coming in, and he gets to this one last target and that he's got to make it. And you know, he's right there. He's just getting in on the target, and then the wind takes a turn on him, and it and it totally. And I was actually taking a picture of the wind flag on top of his spotter's uh, equipment. He had a wire kind of going up in the air about six feet with engineer tape and a wind flag on the spotting scope that he was using. And right when David pressed the trigger, it took a turn, like a hard turn. When you get that switchy winds, whether it's either coming up behind you or in front of you, it's really tough to nail that, especially with, you know, a three to seven second time of flight, depending on the target, where where you break that shot in that wind cycle. That's the biggest thing is a, a working time versus that. And I just want to go back to the wind. For you guys who watched that uh, episode 70, I think it was, the wind one where Mike and I were talking, go in the forum, guys. We get, we're getting a lot of questions, a lot of emails. I don't get it. I don't understand. Yeah, we're talking to you over the radio. It's a little harder to visualize it. Go in the forum. Go to Sniper's Hide Everyday Sniper section. There is a post about that episode with example after example how to do it, breaking it down super easy. Go see Skookum. Um, he's Skookum, man. Uh, go see his post and stuff. He's doing it over the weekend and showing you, hey, I shot this. I used this. Uh, it was 0.75. Use the decimal point. 0.7 out of 100. Boom, boom, boom. Or out of 10. 7 out of 10. I moved my decimal place. And it's really, really easy. Um, you know, it, it's, it's simple. If, if you can't get that method, then you might rather rethink precision long range shooting and go to ARs inside 300, you know, that kind of deal. But go to the Everyday Sniper podcast and Sniper Side Forum. Go look up the examples. There's multiple people who use this method who have their math, you know, common core in it for you. It's, it's, we're showing you the work that we do in our heads. So it, you can figure it out that way. Um, you know, Tom, when I, I took a picture of it, I, I got a really big, and I, I love it. I got some great pictures, over 400 pictures. Uh, I'm posting in the ELR section of Sniper's Hide. We have a big ELR um, beyond a 1,000 yard section, a lot of movement in there, a lot of talk, a lot of discussion. We did a, a big, uh, me and um, uh, one of the guys that was there filming with us, uh, 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 hang on, I'm messing everything up on you guys. But I do. Who knows? Anyway, we got we got a lot of stuff going on there that you guys can can see and, and can check it out. But we have uh, I have over 400 photographs putting up. I wanted some of the other guys putting their pictures up. I have video too. I got to finish editing and put up. Um, going to Alaska again this week, so I'm going to try to knock everything out. Although I got to do a lot of honeydew stuff here, take care of some car things and some house things and some, uh, you know, sniper's hide things. I got to send back some scopes and some different stuff that way. So, um, scopes and rifles got to go back this week, um, that I did for review. So I got to box things up and, and put some effort in to get all these things back to the manufacturers because I'll be gone for 10 days. But it's, it's really with the, the wind call, man, it's, it is a tough thing, which is why I try to get myself into the center of that reticle. 
because if I can see the result of my shot and the wind's not so far out where I'm trying to hold and move aiming points and do different things and what line was I on, I I have a better chance of fine-tuning that onto the target quicker. You know what I mean? I can see it. If I take that center hold first shot, dial in some wind, dial in everything, and then adjust it almost like I'm re-zeroing the scope. You want to take the F-class model, right? You want to zero yourself into the center and then just hold the X-ring versus trying to hold the 8 or 9 to hit the X-ring, okay? That's kind of what we're looking to do. Aim small, miss small. Think of that kind of process you know, if if we're holding a 10 ring and we hold in the 9 or the 8, that's okay. But when we have a half minute X ring, we don't want to hold beyond the 10 ring. So if you're in the 7 ring trying to hold the, t- the X ring, you're probably not going to be as successful as the guy who can dial himself to the 10 ring and then has to hold the X ring. So it's just something to think about and, and something that I noticed on there. The other thing I did notice um with Lieber, just to bring him up, the guy, the guy was was there. He's a lefty, Atlas bipod, a regular one. He didn't have the big heavy bipods like everybody else, so he didn't have it locked down. And with his heavy rifle, he was canted to the left. Every shot he took, he was canted. And I didn't say anything until it was over. But uh, John Baker came up to me and he said, "Hey, is that guy's rifle canted?" I said, "Yeah, it looks like it." I go over, I check it. Sure as hell, his bubbles buried. And when you're only point eight degree. You, you're going to bury your bubble, man. You know, it's it's not that accurate as what you think it is. And so he ended up shooting his string and was, was unsuccessful because he was canted the whole time. The bipods matter, man. There's a lot of Elite Iron Revolution. I saw Dale from Elite Iron there. These big, heavy bipods. I, I wish I can figure out a way... I need no, there is a way, but the the F class bipods work look really good, except for that stem. I'm not a fan of how short that stem is, just going to a single sling stud. I really think an F class bipod needs to be made with a wider base of platform against the stock, and not just that tiny little clip like it does. I kind of think that does a disservice to it. I would redesign that bipods if I saw. Although the wheels work the adjustability and for them to crank them up and they raise and lower. But I think the mounting of it where they should be building either a pick rail in there and doing something where you get more, more meat holding the front of it or something. I I could see it needing to be a little bit more robust in my opinion. Um, Like the elite iron revolution does that thing is a good secure fit because you got about three inches of contact with that pick rail. You know, you're covering almost the entire rail and you're locking it in with two set screws, you know, and then the revolution goes around. The only problem is the Elite Iron Revolution in the circle part is not big enough for these barrels. That's where you run into an issue. You'd actually actually have to make uh, one that works better. I saw the Atlas 5Hs there. Those worked out really well. But then most of them are like in the Sinclairs and the F-Class and all that stuff, those bipods. But it's just, I think there's a stem issue. And it, it, it is because if you take a Macmillan Beast stock with a one-inch round friggin' barrel with these, you know, 416s and stuff, you really run into an issue of uh, where, you know, how you can mount over the top and around. How you come up and you get that really good 
apex like we talk about in class where where the barrel is hanging inside the triangle and not perching and pivoting on the top so that's just something to think about um if you guys are building a rig interesting fun fact tom manners was using a gain twist barrel from bartland thank you tom gain twist barrel and his muzzle velocity was up a little bit he had um his bc rather he used a point 491 BC to uh, Robert Brantley's uh, 0.48. So uh, 0.49 versus 0.8. Tom using gain twist. I don't think it was left hand, I ju- but I do know it was gain twist. Coming from the Bartland crew, man, the stuff works and it's not picky with bullets. That's probably the biggest takeaway. I still I had two guys, again, posting on the Bartland gain twist YouTube video telling me, you know, spin and torque and direction and it doesn't work like i said you never shot it dude shut the f up you haven't shot it you don't know you don't know what it feels like so please don't tell me you know what that 175 grain bullet's gonna do versus your nine pound barrel it it, it, that's not how it works but what it is it's more forgiving per load it's more forgiving for bullet lower sds more variety in bullet weight with better success, all that stuff. It's only when you get off your belly will you start to feel the left or right kind of deal, and it does work. But then at distance, at ELR distance, it's going to cancel out the drifts. Okay, you're gonna you're gonna reduce the movement in drifts. And it's funny, you know, you see some people Corios, Corios, Corios. Tom and Robert didn't mention it once. They didn't bring any of that up. They may have had it turned on and had it in their solution. I asked Robert what his wind was, what his wind strategy was. And I have pictures of him up there just holding his hands up. He swagged it, dude. He edupated it. He wasn't using the software to give him the wind. He wasn't using any of the drifts and drops and things. He's like, oh, it's coming from this side. Let's go with like, you know, just off the side of this plate. Let's see what it does. And, and here was the guy was hammering and just took the numbers from the previous hits and translated it to the future. You know, he didn't default to software. He didn't default to this. He was doing the PRS edge of plate. So, I mean, that's, it's exactly what Mike was saying when you sample somebody and say, what's your strategy? What are you doing? It's, I'm holding the edge. I'm going to see what happens. I'm over here. I'm going to see what happens. It's when guys are trying to overthink it, they end up being two plates away. It's they're adding in so much drift. They're they're holding, you know, it's most people were like a minute to two minutes off into the wind. Okay, there was guys that were two plates off because they start stacking on drifts. Tom and those guys shot their stuff. They had it written down. It's all in there. You know what I mean? It's already there. They didn't have to go play with it. it it's it's a weird deal that that people don't realize they're adding on top of what they already have instead of saying this is a number that makes up this number they're saying this is a number I'm adding to this number big distinction this is a number that makes up my number versus this is a number I'm adding to my number got it don't add use what you have we've already trued to that so it should be good but anyway uh yeah it was it was interesting um just to see some of the stuff going on but yeah great images man stop in the forum go check them out uh you, you could see the guys who did who did really well and 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 you know you could see 
some of the behind the scenes actions in the image. You can see all the equipment, what everybody's using. The Charlie, the 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 Charlie Tarek unit, the taco unit, the 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 uh, prism is by far the one of the most important things when you're going to get to the two miles inside the 2600. No big deal. When you get to that two miles, it's it's a, 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 your best cheapest piece of kit you're gonna get. Uh, John Baker's got new stuff coming out with it. He's working on it. God, he's got some neat little single uh, lens things happening that that'll be able to give you like five mils with just a, a, a single kind of flip up, like he does with his AR mount. He has an AR red dot mount. It's really tiny. It's a lens that goes in front of your aim point. You you flip it up. And it automatically gives you like six, eight, you know, MOA. So if you have a hundred yard zero, you know, fifty yard zero, it'll automatically get you to point of aim, point of impact. That say six hundred. He's doing the same thing for your precision rifle too. So you don't need the big heavy Charlie Tarek unit, the Taco. But uh, he also had a prism, a side shot prism, because the other problem you run into thirty, thirty two inch barrel, maybe a suppressor yada yada all that long stuff in front of the scope and now you got to aim down at the ground to shoot that far he has a side shot so you're not looking at the barrel you know what i mean so you're looking down the side of it even though everything's lined up and is doing what it's supposed to you're seeing down the side so that way there you don't have to look at the barrel see the mirage and see the problem you bypass that whole thing real smart i mean it's another you're 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 laying on optics. You're stacking on things, so it's kind of tricky that way. But at the same time, it's super smart to in the ELR game to not be looking at that barrel, not getting that distortion, that little bit of uh that blur that you may see because you are looking straight down at it, man. It's just that's the only way you can do it. So, um. Learning experiences, man. Set the rifles up for you. Learn to get yourself set the rifle up for you. I'm going to say that again because you really need to have that fitting. I mean, unless you're going to put it in some kind of tripod vice contraption where you're not influencing it, you're influencing it. You're lined up behind it. You're stacked. You're touching it. You know what I mean? You're off a bipod. So you have to understand the influences you put on the rifle because you're off a bipod. And because it's so big, so long, so heavy, recoil, the whole thing, guys don't set it up the same way. And they need to. It's really important you do it. And so that's kind of something that I, I think you need to look at. And that includes the height of the scope. The cheek well, like I said, there's a photograph, and, and that John is shooting that rifle. He's, he doesn't have a cheek well. The guy came in second, you know? And, and it's like, how could you be consistent at two miles without a cheek well? Consistent cheek well is key, man. The fundamentals are key. You know, we can dial in these optics. We can side, we could do all kinds of stuff to aim at something. And as long as we know what the offset is, and as long as we know what we're going at, we can deal with any kind of offset. But if you're if you're inconsistent as a shooter, what are you gonna do? You know, it's it's one of those deals. And it might not have been John, the second guy. I don't remember which guy, because there's a couple. It might have been Jeff, it might have been John. I'm not sure which one. 
So I don't mean to kind of call you out personally like that. I'm just saying I have pictures and I have to go back and see in the picture which guy it is. But one of them is shooting without a cheek weld. And, and so to me, that's that's the downside of the ELR that they don't uh, set the rifle up for them. You know, that that it's one of those deals. But, um, man, it was it was it's it's a good thing to sit back and watch. It's a good learning experience. It's a I mean, getting the pictures, being right there and listening to them. Uh, you know, J.J. Rock, John Guy, great way up. Uh, coaching as far as he was on the spotting scope he had he had rudy backing him up he was the primary duncan shooting duncan hit at two mile john was just making sure everything was right in 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 his communication his coaching was spot on and he comes out of that that training in military in in instructing you know his coaching was really really good and and you got to be quick you got to be concise you got to give accurate and it's funny, we were laughing about it. I think it was that night we were out talking. Somebody gave a um like a weird correction to somebody. And it was like, go, you gotta go righty a little more. And it was it was like a, a very, you know, vague thing. And then the guy hit. And it's like, well, they must have spoke about what righty a little more meant. Or it was, you know, it was it it wasn't that even that clear. It was it was even funnier than that, that it was an off term. That it was nowhere near as clear as righty a little more. It was more, uh, you know, you got to go over here, you know, and, and what does over here mean? And the guy shot and hit. So he knew what over here meant. We didn't. But uh, no, nah, good stuff, man. Good stuff at the King of Two Mile. Uh, congrats to Eduardo. Like I said, I just wish he would run more than one person and change that scoring method up because it's just so complex trying to figure out who won and did what. I was getting... I, I had Robert Brantley's mom texting me and Laura's girlfriend texting me. And did he win? Did he? And and I knew he won, but I didn't know because of the scoring. So I couldn't help him. You know, it's like, uh, if my math is right, he did. But with the multipliers, it, it could have been a case where if he hit more on the back than on the front, although I know he hit more on the front, so he had bigger points. The multipliers go by what order you hit. So if it's a first round hit, it's a multiplier of five. If it's a last round hit, it's only by one, you know. So there was some guys who hit the last or second to the last shot where Robert tended to hit the first or second to third. So he had a lot more multipliers. But it's a really weird kind of scoring. And unfortunately, I couldn't do it on the fly to tell these people. But everybody's texting me because they weren't texting Robert. And they're like, hey, what's the score? What's the score? I don't know what the score is. It's in an eighty-five thousand points. It's like he shot like twenty-five rounds, you know, for the whole week, the weekend, three days. He shot, you know, he shot. He, you shoot. Um, well, what would have been five? Yeah, about about thirty rounds total, and then your points are eighty-five thousand. So with a thirty-round string of fire, you're at eighty-five. It's like what? How do you get eighty-five thousand points out of five uh, thirty shots? But anyway, that's my only kind of downside. But other than that, all good stuff. And 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 like I said, I'm posting it. I got some videos I'll put up. Uh, the pictures came out great. And then you know, there's there's some other info out there that you guys can get and uh, you know sort it all out. But I wanted to come in and give you a quick little debrief. Uh, not not too many questions. You guys can hit me up with some more questions and stuff. Uh, I check out the Podbean app. Most people just 
One guy asked about um, going over to the Podbean app. He asked me uh, about monopods. I have them on some of my rifles. I don't use them that much. And if I do use them, I use them with a rear bag. I kind of double them up a little bit. Um, A monopod to me is best in more of the law enforcement. You got to be behind the rifle and doing all that. It's... It, people end up messing with it a lot more than they should because they're trying to use it to fine-tune, and it tends to be a tick slower. But, I mean, it's a solid rear rest. It's just, you know, does it fit the situation every time under time where rear bag you're just spinning and moving quickly or crushing and holding versus trying to manipulate some fine threads to fine-tune, you know, a quarter-minute dot. But um, a monopod works. It's just, you know, how quick are you going to deploy it? I don't. Like I said, I have some on some AIs. I don't use them. I don't have any third-party ones other than the old, old AccuShots, but they're not mounted on anything anymore, and I haven't used them in ages uh, as far as that goes. It, you know, it, it really it becomes a case of, did I forget a rear bag, and does the AI have a monopod up under the stock? Because a lot of them do. And, um, I'll, uh, oh, I, I'll use it now because I, I, I forgot my, my rear bag. You know, that kind of thing. But um, otherwise, man... Just same old stuff. I played with the Vectronics there too because Eduardo had number one and he had the Terrapin X and he said he got 33 with it. I tried hitting the 35 and stuff with his there. I couldn't get it, but it got up to 26, no problem. So I'm going to give it a hard limit of about 25, 2600 yards. He says he got it. I, I uh, There was other guys behind him kind of shaking their head like, no, he, you know, he he might have worked really hard to get it, but um at thirty three, and so but who knows? Because I was getting mixed signals. Some of his support staff and guys who were there with him were shaking their head no. He was saying yes, 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 I got it. So I don't know what that means in in terms of whether or not he did get it. But uh, looking forward to the class in AK this week. Gonna uh we get to do PR twos too. So we do a a we do the PR ones. Last classes were all ones. This is a one and two combos that we'll end up doing, which good because I get them all off their belly. You know, they all start doing alternate position stuff, all start doing tripod stuff, and and it becomes a really good class because for them they don't get a lot of prone up there. And it's good to kind of turn people on to what they can do and how successful they can be off their belly nowadays. You know, our equipment is so much better, the tripods, the the mounts, the way we're doing it, the, the you know, where the balance point is, rather than trying to to use the 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 bipod method which we did in the past where hey, let's put the tripod as far forward as we can, let's tie it into us and lock us and keep us as as part of the rear support. Now it's kind of balance it in the middle, get that balance point of the rifle so it's it's stable front and back. Then just come up and kiss and put less influence of us into it. So it, it's it's an interesting kind of change that way in the dynamic. But looking forward to going up and doing the classes. Um, a lot of questions on the classes and stuff coming up. I'm I'm booked, man, until next year. So uh, we'll have more classes for people next year. But you keep an eye on Sniperside forums. Keep an eye over there. There is the uh, the online trainings up and running. The videos are up in there. And, and you can go in, and if you want some of these in more detail, go to the online training part, and for 15 bucks a month, which is less than a bu- one box of ammo, you, c- you can get into the online training in the Sniper Side Forum. Alrighty. Alright, guys, I'm going to 
check out. I'm gonna go. To, I gotta go to um. I gotta go to brunch without the wait, so I'm gonna go to lunch uh, on this like Sunday afternoon. So I I gotta head out in a little bit and and do my my lunch thing. But uh, yeah, definitely uh, good stuff there. Some good learning uh, in it. In going from the, in the ELR King of Two Mile, we had one guy hit at two miles last year. Three guys hit this year. Okay. It's getting better. Equipment's getting better. They're learning they need that velocity. They, You know what I mean? The bullets, the, those 500 grain uh, cutting edge lasers, man. That's the one that's that's winning out of the 416. Uh, I think Paul shot 550s. But the 500 grain at that 3,100 feet per second, man, there's your money spot. You, 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 it's speed. It's velocity, right? 500 grain bullet at 3,100 and 50 is what Manners is. 30-50 is what Robert Brantley was, right? So let's break, you know, let's split the difference. 3,100 feet per second out of a 500 grain bullet. That's the butter zone for you. That's where you're going to see that success kind of play out. And, and it, it, it comes down to speed, man, in, in that BC and tweaking that BC and having those numbers right. Uh, cause th- like I said, they, they fought with elevation a lot more than I think people talk about. Uh, it, it's, it's one of those cases where you see the elevation, uh, struggles that people have because it's just the, the software doesn't necessarily keep up the way we expect it to. And, and, and that's something you want to go out and, and you got to have that real world data to back up what we're doing. And, and somebody even asked Tom, why, why'd you run two? Well, it's running them against each other to kind of split the difference. This guy's saying, you know, you need uh, 21.6, and this guy's saying you need 20, uh, you know, 22. Well, maybe 21.8, you know, that kind of deal. And so that's what you what you what you kind of have to look at in terms of uh, what where software is. But there was no magic solution for software. There was no, um, you know kind of magic bullet other than that 416 did seem to rule the roost this year and again function of spotting they you want to be able to see what happens when the bullet hits if you're too small and it doesn't make a big enough and solids don't splash as it is if it's if it's too small and you're not getting enough energy back there to make a big enough effect you don't know where it hits and and it's funny i talked to um Mark Lonsdale, we were talking that night. He shot a five-inch group at whatever distance it was where he got knocked out, first or second target, third target, whatever. So let's call it the mile. He he shot a five-inch group. They never saw it. They never saw anything. He hit the frame. He put every single round in the frame, and nobody could see it because it didn't splash. You know what I mean? But I said to him, like, well, why did you shoot like a, you know, he shot a five inch, like five shot group. Why didn't you do something different? Because if you didn't see it, you have to do something different. But hitting the frame, he had no report. He didn't know where it was going. And and that's the, that's the downside. You're so far away. They're not telling you when they can see it on the target cam. So you almost almost need a guy watching the target cam and with a with a headset. You know, your third spotter should be watching the video. Or put your put one guy on glass, put the second guy on the on the target cam and watch the target cam because that would have helped Mark realize, hey man, you're just 
putting them all in one hole at, you know, a mile, but on the frame and, and nobody can see anything. And the guy got eliminated because, you know, had no impact, no idea. And he was only less than a foot off a hit in the plate. It, you know, gut punch. In it, it's a total, total gut punch, man. When when you're that close, shooting that well, and you're just hitting a little high and a little right on the frame, and nobody can see it, man, that sucks. So, alrighty, guys, I'm I'm gonna head out. Gonna go hit my brunch. You guys have a good one, and we'll be talking to you this week before I hit Alaska. Later. <laughs>